I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's gorgeous episode, got to have one of my preferred human beings in the world, Dr. Stuart McGill. I've been following along with his work for the last 15 years, I would say, is the beginning of me digging into his stuff. And he's the world's leading expert on all things spinal mechanics, you could say. Um, We've had him on, I think, I don't know how many times, three or four times. And I value him greatly. I know you guys are going to get a lot from this episode. We get into generally spinal hygiene, I think, is a good term. It's kind of like a synopsis for the whole thing. And uh, so, yeah, how to take care of your spine, how movement affects your physiology, how it affects the development of your bones, of your muscles, of your connective tissue. And it's just such a valuable conversation. I hope you guys dig it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. And on there, you guys start the five day moon challenge. People have been really digging that. I'm so grateful that people love that. Uh, it's five simple videos, breaks down fundamentals of what everybody ought to have in their daily existence to move well for the rest of your life. So jump on there, alignpodcast.com, and you can get started real simple. Wanted to give a shout out for folks leaving reviews on iTunes. That's the way the algorithmic gods have a sense that this podcast exists and it's how it grows. So I greatly appreciate that. Uh, this is from Kelsey and Jade. All I could ask for is more exclamation point, multiple exclamation points. Uh, Aaron has created a down to earth style of interviewing that is raw, full of quality content and guides discussions. So viewers can learn, be entertained and feel like they're actually sitting in a sauna with good friends. And then they go on to say more great things. So thank you so much for that. Kelsey and Jade, um, hit me up at align podcast or align band on Instagram, and we'll send you some stuff out from our show sponsor. Four Sigmatic. I've been using Four Sigmatic for the last two years, over two years, I think. Um, and they're awesome. Really high quality medicinal mushrooms in the forms of reishi and cordyceps and shiitake and lion's mane and all the ones that you need. I use the reishi pretty much every night, not 100% of the time, but a really high percent of the time before bed, uh, for rest, down regulation, calming your nervous system. Um, really great stuff. Uh, cordyceps, I use those guys before I go to the gym or do some like movement stuff and they're great. They've been helping me out for a long time and I appreciate them and you can get a discount if you go to foursigmatic.com slash align, F-O-U-R, sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash align and they'll hook you up. Um, hope you guys dig that stuff and uh, I know you're going to like it. I think we're good. This conversation, like I said, he's world's leading expert on all things spine. So this is really cool opportunity for us to get to learn from this guy. And I just so greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. And here we go. Back to the Shizal with Dr. Stuart McGill. Pow. Align Podcast. You've mentioned degenerative disc disease as being... That, I think we think of sometimes these, these things as being something like that happens to us and it's like a parasite that's like sucking from us, you know, our life force as opposed to something that we're continually doing to ourselves. Is that something that 
Can we talk about that a little bit? Like degenerative disc disease. Like what well, is- certainly, I, I I think it 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 as a disease, it's extremely rare, and worse yet, when a person is told that by their family doctor reading a radiology report or a radiologist even writes that in a report, it's it's awful. The patients show up here saying, oh, Professor McGill, I've got a degenerative disease. I've got degenerative disc disease. And, and I, I look at them, I do an assessment, I view the scans, and I realize, no, they have something very, very specific. It's not d- disc disease at all. And what a horrible game to play with a person uh, allowing them to believe they have a degenerative disease. Most of the things that radiologists Uh, ascribe this very garbage term to are very specific and most of them will gristle up over time and not be uh, symptomatic. So uh, there's the start of it It, and and usually it's just their inability to really see the details that are there for a trained eye to see and they see a flattened disc or at least a disc that's lost some water content and some height. And they just say, oh, well, uh, it's a it's a disc disease. No, it isn't. Uh, If you know how to interpret the scans, you'll see the precise mechanism that led to that. Yeah. So a huge part of the book is how we can shift our environment to in such a way that forms our bodies um, in a healthier direction each day. You know, so is, is, there, is this about is this is this really about adaptation so adapting tissue adapting our bodies is that the key word here that's what it's about i think fabulous oh i've got so many thoughts <laughs> <laughs> so that's the interesting thing is like that's like you know the kind of the bane of our existence but it's also like our 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 value is that we can adapt to to anything you know so no matter how degenerative the environment is or how robust the environment is we'll adapt to it so is there anything that you see standout, low-hanging fruit that we could shift in our environment? Well, absolutely. Uh, Have you seen the recent book I did, co-authored with Brian Carroll, called The Gift of Injury? Yeah, I read it a couple times. Okay, so you saw uh, the MRI scans of when Brian first showed up at our clinic. Yeah. uh, At the university. His sacrum was split front to back, very heavy fracture. His L5 was crumbled at the front. The disc above and below were were far beyond degeneration. They're extremely damaged. And then we show the MRI three years later. And uh, we realized at the beginning, through assessment and looking at the images, we knew that he would not be able to get out of pain. And as a power lifter, a champion power lifter, remember that this fellow had squatted 1,100 pounds 50 times uh, in competition. So we knew that he would never lift or bear load again until we adapted that tissue. And if this is what it's all about, yes, we had to adapt that tissue to bear load again. Well, you know how we work. We keep working at a problem until we can converge on a solution. So the first thing I did was I took a cadaver, I loaded it under a very heavy load, and we created exactly the same uh, fracture in the sacral plateau. Hmm. Uh, I then took uh, bone cement, PMMA, or polymethylmethacrylate, which is what an orthopedic surgeon 
surgeon would do. Uh, in some cases, it's called kyphoplasty. You inject this bone cement into a, say, an osteoporotic vertebra that's collapsed or one that's had a burst fracture or, or something fairly uh, damaged with, with load. But what was interesting, I couldn't seal off the end plate where the, 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 the disc at the top of the sacrum, and uh, it has to contain nuclear pressure in the uh, disc, uh, otherwise uh, it will fail again. So, and, and I tried to develop artificial nucleus uh, in, in my years as a professor, the different polymers and that kind of thing, but the uh, failure to create this artificial adaptation was always in the inability to seal off the end plate. So I said to Brian, uh, I don't think a surgeon is going to fix you. And there was no surgeon that was really willing to do much for him except fuse him up. But I, I don't think that would have done much with, with such uh, big fractures either. So uh, we did what we, we called bone callusing. And um, I, I'm going to talk about how we... Uh, understand body adaptation from a general principle in just a minute. But let me finish uh, Brian's story. Um, you're aware that if you fracture a long bone, uh, your body forms a callus over the fracture. And when it calluses up, it's actually stronger than the uh, unbroken bone on the other side of the body. So bone callusing uh, is directed by what's called Wolf's Law which is the adaptation law of bone. So if you took a long bone and you bent it, the outside surface of the bend in, in tension uh, and then the inside curve of the bending bone is in compression. Well, bone is a piezoelectric material. Were you ever a kid and you had two pieces of quartz and you would go out at night, say at summer camp, and you'd rub the two pieces of quartz together and flashes of light would go through the quartz? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. So a quartz is a very powerful piezoelectric crystal, which is when you stress it, it builds an electric charge. Well, bone is a piezoelectric material. So when you stress bone, it builds an electric charge at the location of highest stress. So that's the magic of how your body knows where to adapt bone. It lays down bone where it's, it needs it at the point of highest stress and it takes it away from, from places of lower stress. Mm -hmm. So I knew that was the, really the only biological adaptation principle we had with Brian. So we organized a uh, bone callusing program where he uh, exposed his spine to very modest loads. And I'm talking, you know, like a suitcase carry of a short distance or something like that. But then you take five days off because if you only take two or three days off and you stress again, the charge that suck in free ions that build bone, the free ions of calcium and magnesium, they get attracted to the piezoelectric charge and they scaffold on with a chemical bond. But the problem is you've got to let them scaffold on and stay for five days or so. So the scaffolding becomes robust. Otherwise, the next time you move or load, they break off again. So uh, th that, that's what he did. And I said, you're going to have to do this for several months, even when you're out of pain, 
So when you understand the mechanism of adaptation, it helps your training and know that you've got to keep doing this long after you're out of pain because you still have to build that robust bone back again. Um, so basically he focused on that for about a year. He cheated on me, not quite a year. And then the second year he worked on getting his athleticism back. Well, he squatted 1174 last weekend, wow. <laughs> which is, is so difficult to get your head around if you haven't been in the same room as someone under that kind of load. But uh, my point was, um, th there's a story of adaptation. Uh, if we did a normal uh, back pained uh, intervention on him, it would have failed. We had to understand the mechanism with precision so we knew how to organize the, the adaptation. Um, but it's so interesting when, when I get bodybuilders, for example, who want to become strength athletes. Well, they've trained themselves to hypertrophy muscle, which basically you train, you take a day off to let the muscle rebuild and grow, and then you do it again another two days later, etc. But when they start training true strength, where they're really starting to load uh, their vertebra and the cartilaginous end plates, uh, etc., uh, a lot of them get into trouble with cumulative trauma because they're training without enough adaptation time. Whereas if you look at a true strength athlete or a power lifter, typically they train, they might do heavy squats and then take five days off. In other words, their training regimen is naturally a bone callusing adaptation program, hmm. um, which is different from an Olympic lifter, <laughs> which uh, their volume of training is much, much lower. Um, than uh, certainly a bodybuilder and and uh, certainly uh, uh, the, you know strong men and powerlifters etc. Yeah. Anyway, there's a little bit of a start on uh, understanding the tissue that needs at adapting, and then what tools do you have in your toolbox to stimulate optimal adaptation and and increase your risk of uh, decrease your risk of, of failing. Yeah, so it's. Seems to me almost like this piezoelectric effect. It's almost like an electrical wand, or it's like we're sculpting ourselves every time we make contact with anything. So right now, it's like, okay, well, I'm not an Olympic lifter, I'm not a bodybuilder, so I guess I don't, you know, do the piezoelectric thing. But like right now, literally, as you're sitting down listening to this, like right now, I'm in a 90-90 position with my legs. Um, so just the pressure of my sit bones and my my hips on the ground and this and the stacking of my spine. I'm sending that current through my whole system, sculpting myself as we're having this conversation, right? Well, you may or you may not uh, bone very much so, but yeah. uh, there are, now what we're talking about now is mechanostimulation, which stimulates different adaptation processes. So when you stimulate, say, fascia and load it, or ligaments and tendons and those kinds of things, or think of skin, um, the collagen fibers of, of skin are uh, random. The, well, they're not random. They're all over the place. In other words, the weave of the fibers. Do, do you know the difference between a fiberglass cloth and a fiberglass mat if you're a boat builder? I do. Yes. So the fiberglass cloth has fibers that run north and south and weave. Right. Mat, they're random. They're all over the place. They're just laid down. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. I, I, you and I could have fun together. You it's know like, a lot of basic things. 
So that's, skin, that's all I know. I think it's basic. <laughs> yeah, but skin has the uh, weave of collagen like fiberglass mat, whereas tendons have the collagen aligned only north and south with just a very loose structure. So they can fray apart if they are uh, run over the edge of a, a bone or a bony pulley or something like that. Right. But uh, it, again, if you understand uh, what the adaptation is there, it may not be quite as electric as bone. In other words, it might be a, a chemical uh, instigator to the uh, adaptation and but uh, the root of it all is mechanostimulation. Mm. But that mechanostimulation we're, we're continually forming ourselves. Yes. Right, right? Throughout the day, 100% of the time, we always have these osteoclasts or osteoblasts or fibroclasts, blasts. They're always building and, and chewing away the old stuff, building the new stuff, chewing away the old stuff. Exactly. And so that's kind of like, to me, that's a really interesting big idea that I don't think a lot of people recognize because we, we isolate our movement, our, our conscious movement to a yoga studio, martial arts, or gym, and then the rest of the day, we just forget about it. So the, the, what I'm really interested in is kind of what I conceive as the reality that we're always doing fitness. We're always constructing ourselves. Thank you. Is there something to that? Yeah, we call that spine hygiene. Yes. So we, 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 we uh, in, in certain, there's two people where that's really, really important. The people in the middle, it doesn't matter to them because the demand of their life is, they have enough capacity in their body to meet the demands of their life, but their life is not really that interesting. There's no big demands on it. But let's take an athlete who, right. who is a speed, power strength athlete they have huge demands put on their body because of the demand of the sport so their body has to have a very high capacity in terms of load bearing and and these kinds of things now let's think of the poor uh, back pained patient or, or anyone with with pain and, and loading compromise at the other end they don't have a margin of safety just like an athlete doesn't. Their, their, their capacity is very much lower. So they can't take much more demand. They always have to have more capacity than is demanded of them. Otherwise, they get injured. Mm -hmm. But you see, with athletes, they have a huge demand. So their capacity has to be even bigger. But people in the middle you know, they, they don't, I mean, I'm, I'm glad my life isn't like that. I'd be bored to tears, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, so, so there you go. It, 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 that same principle matters at both ends of the spectrum. And then the, the, the back pain person and the athlete has to build their capacity to train by performing spine hygiene all day long, look after their back. So they have some capacity left to make sure they're over and above whatever the demand is. And their demand might be simply sitting at the computer for 20 minutes and then dragging their garbage bin down the driveway for the, for the pickup, you know, that, that, that's their demand, but they're so close yeah. to that's their capacity. Pardon me, but they're so close to their demand and breaking into pain. Um, but for the average person, they have a lot more uh, capacity in their body than is ever demanded uh, with their boring life, and uh, they don't pay the price for it. Are you familiar with Joan Vernicos? No. Oh, man, you, you'd get a kick out of her. So she was the, I, I believe, she was the director of, I think, like Life Sciences or something like that at 
at NASA. She's got a couple of books. One is called Sitting Kills, Moving Heels. Um, she's got a new one out as well that I have sitting over here. I forget what it's called. I haven't read the next one yet. Um, but her whole thing is, is studying astronauts and people in general outside of gravity. And she relates astronauts and they go and they lose that force of gravity. Their body ends up going haywire. And she relates the closest thing we have to that here on Earth would be like water. But as far as studying people, water weirds them out too much. You can't have somebody in water for 10 days. But you can have somebody just lay on a bed for 10 days. And they actually did that with people. And what they see is they see really similar effects um, of all the, the, the deleterious effect of being up in space happens when you just lay on your back and you get outside of that stimulus of gravity, having, you needing to stack your bones continually throughout the day. And so what she refer, talks to about there is, is uh, the value of like continuous low intensity work as opposed to sedentary lifestyle and then a blowout CrossFit class once a day. Well, yeah, I'm very familiar with, with the work, actually. I've no, consulted yeah. for both NASA and the European Space Agency and whatnot on these various questions. So you're absolutely right. I have great sympathy. But you might find a little bit of a nuance that, um, do you remember when Glasnost happened and Gorbachev uh, took down the iron wall around the Soviet Union? Yeah, yeah I mean, well, I wasn't, yeah, but. Well, just I, at that I, time, you've heard about it just at yeah. that time there was a meeting of spine scientists in warsaw poland and uh, i was invited with another canadian as the canadian delegates and they had various uh european uh, delegates brought in and we saw for the first time the cosmonaut science now the americans are astronauts the soviets are cosmonauts um you would think that the spine loses mineral mass when you go into space because it's not loaded. Well, actually, all the bones of your body lose mineral mass when you go yeah. into space, except for two. One is your skull, and one are, are your uh, vertebra in your spine. And here's the mechanism. Um, the, 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 your, your face, you get puffy face syndrome when you go into zero gravity in space because your lymphatic system are always milking your body fluids back against 1G gravity. So they're used to pushing it uphill. As right. soon as you go out of gravity, it, they, they keep on milking fluids up towards your head and you get a fat head and uh, your brain swells and goes under pressure and it's actually sufficient st to stimulate bone growth in your skull. But the other one is we we put students to bed for uh, two days, was it? Uh, 36, I think it was, it was either 36 or 42 hours. And we measured how their spines grew. Now, we knew from the cosmonaut program that some of the, astro the cosmonauts grew almost a couple of inches their first 24 hours in space because the discs are hydrophilic. And they keep sucking up fluid. So when you go to, that's, that's, let's just take that as part of the start. When we measured these students going to bed, you know your spine is a bit shrunken when you go to bed. You're actually shorter at the end of the day because hydrostatic pressures are squeezing fluid out of your, your discs all day long. But then when you go to bed, the fluids get sucked up in your discs and in the morning you're actually taller. Well, as it turns out, that equilibrium stress level comes back after eight hours in bed. And this, is, this was our contribution to it. If you stay in bed longer, your spine keeps on growing, just like if you were in weightlessness. And then the discs become so full of water, they put your spine under stress. 
sufficient to build bone. Wow. So isn't that interesting? It's, it's opposite. But the, the cosmonauts and astronauts, many of them are on painkillers for spine pain when they're in space. A lot of right. people don't know that. So yeah, your body does go haywire, to use your words, when they're in weightlessness. But uh, there's a little bit more uh, interest to the science. And if people think uh, I, I, I listened to an interview with Elon Musk a little while ago and the guy who runs uh, Amazon, Bezos. Oh, we're going to move to another planet. Don't you believe it. Don't Our bodies that. are so tuned to 9.8 meters per second squared G-force. It's unbelievable. Your eyes are going to go funny. Uh, as you know, astronauts have so many eye problems later in their life because of that time and space with the pressure in their eyeballs. Uh, your body is so tuned. You can't live at 0.6 gravity, uh, like on, on Mars or something like that. It's, it's your body. It just won't adapt to that extremeness. Yeah. One of the interesting things that Joan Vernikos gets into in that book is that is she says that this the experience in space, it almost seems as though it like accelerates the aging process. Like a lot of things, similar effects happen, but it's like, you know, five, 10 times more faster. Um, and so with that, she's looking at, okay, well maybe we can harness the power of actually being in relationship to gravity to kind of almost like reverse aging or slow down aging or put our bodies more of a, a like a place of continual homeostasis, equipoise, balance, all that stuff. There's something to that. Uh, I would say in a in the grandest of large principles, absolutely there is. Right. Yeah. So you use that word homeostasis. Uh, if if your body's adapted one way, uh, I can't think of a system where it wouldn't reverse. If the right. uh, uh, drivers of the adaptation are normalized back once again, yeah. but. This is, this is, isn't this rehabilitation? It's, it's, it's uh, regaining your health after you've had, uh, say, a mobility problem. You, you've had an injury in your body or, or a mental injury or whatever, or you've been incarcerated or whatever it happens to be. Um, you've got to uh, readapt that body back. Um, and, and this also is, it plays a very large role in injury prevention as well to yeah. bring your body back or, you know, an athlete, uh, as you know, it's a little bit of a specialty of ours to restore the careers of high performance athletes after they've been injured. And in our world, it's back injury. Yeah. And we're, we're very much conscious of the dosage that we give them, the amount of rest, don't get greedy with time and try and push them. Um, you know, there's, there, there may be a lot of that pressure if they're a professional athlete, but, uh, we have got to mitigate all of that and, and allow, uh, adaptation and the, the tincture of time <laughs> to, uh, to optimize. What do you have a sense of like some recipe for optimal spinal health as far as intensity of movement throughout the day? You know, so that sedentary lifestyle throughout the whole day, just sitting, hunching over, staring at a computer, and then the block CrossFit class seems like that might be a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, too much. Well, uh, it's the perfect storm. Yeah, right. So, so what is so? What's the inverse of the perfect storm for the spine? Well, I, I think you were asking me some time ago uh, tips to age optimally. Right. 
And can I just back up for just a moment and create a principle that will help me formulate an answer to that question? Yeah, please. Okay, so the principle is this. As you, we've, we've interviewed me in the past, and you know, I usually start when you ask a question with, it depends. It, it depends, exactly. And the reason that I've, I'm obliged to do that is that our bodies and the way that they move and work are governed by scientific principles. And as scientists, we probe the system to converge on an understanding. We call that the code. That's the code of how the body works. But every human is variable. You look a little different than me. Um, our, our body proportions are different. Our injury histories are different. Our genetic backgrounds are different. Uh, genders are, are, are different, age, etc. So because of all of this variability, now we have to perform pattern recognition based on the code, but we also have to blend in our clinical experience. So now we can play jazz. So a good musician, but one who's still learning, they can play in an orchestra because you're following a score sheet. That's the code. But you need a really good musician who understands the physics of music, the nuances, so they can play in a jazz band and make it sound good. Do you know what I mean by that? You've got to be quite an accomplished musician to play good jazz. So the great clinicians, the great coaches, the great movement artists uh, are, are able to play jazz, but they're very, very accomplished. So if... If we can start with that principle, now uh, I can answer your question about tips to age optimally. So I have to start talking about the code. Um, Now, one of the first principles in my world is look after your joints. So if you damage your joints, you're shortening your life. You're shortening the time over which you will be athletic and... Uh, you know, it's so much fun. Go sit in the orthopedic surgeon's office and see who's in the waiting room. And that will uh, convince you (laughs) that uh, blowing your body apart in the gym with extreme training. uh, I mean, look at me. I've I've had hip replacement, uh, all kinds of, because when I was younger, I, I, I trained far too heavy. Uh, and uh, had my share of injury and and whatnot. So that's part of the code. But when we expand the code, the the next part is look after your plumbing. Now, you do that by eating well, and if you follow Dan John, he says eat like an adult. That's a pretty good simplification of the code, and moderate aerobic activity to keep the plumbing clean and uh, open. Um, and also train with a few more short, intense intervals. This is all good and governed by the code of keeping your plumbing healthy. Now, look after your electrical. And what I mean by that is not too much aerobic activity. So when you follow uh, long-distance runners, for example, who've committed to really long distances for a lot of years. And then you look, their plumbing is wonderful, but what they're dropping dead with is electrical issues. The sinus node is worn out in their heart. In other words, that, that's an electrical uh, flaw and they need a pacemaker and <laughs> all these kinds of things. 
So sedentary people, they fail with poor plumbing and the uh, aerobic fanatics tend to wear out their electrical side. So these are all concepts based on the code. Um, But if I was to talk a little bit of of jazz now on top of that code and and we look at different people in in the population, let's look at successful people. There was a, a, an old firefighter who is a, a colleague of mine, and his uh, goal all the time that he was working was to be the fittest 80-year-old ever. Now, if, if I said to you, you know, do you want to win CrossFit tomorrow or be the best 80-year-old that you can be? You wouldn't probably do CrossFit. You would do something else. Right. Um, but, you know, I get it. It's a sport, so fair enough. But uh, nonetheless, here would be a wisdom and how he played jazz. So when he retired, there's seven days in a week. Two days a week, he would strength train. Two days a week, he would do mobility. Or as he said, I work on the things that are a bit stuck. <laughs> Two days a week, he did something different. Now, they were usually a little more aerobic and a little more longer duration. He would go for a bike ride. He'd go for a long swim or, do you know what I mean, a, a hike yeah. through the woods or something like that. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, all the time, he would respect biology and eat like an adult and that kind of thing. So there's a, a jazz uh, with the background of the code that, that is moderate, logical, and, and very justifiable. Now, does it work for me? Uh, as you know, I'm, re- I'm retired and in my 60s. I am not, my life doesn't allow that much freedom that I can do all of those things. But every day what works for me is I do a little bit of core work. Obviously, I have to. Um, and I do a tiny bit of mobility on, the, on my injuries and things that need to be unglued a little bit uh, every day. And uh, I uh, also try and do a little bit of, uh, uh, well, I do three interval walks a day if I'm able to. And uh, I go outside and I make sure I work with my hands doing some heavy labor. And I might be splitting firewood or today I was uh, working on a truck and on my wife's uh, uh, truck. And, uh, you know, there you go. So at the end of the day, uh, I I will not allow myself to have a beer, in other words, until I've satisfied those physicalities of... uh, uh, of, of moderation and uh, adhering to the code. And by the way, if I can just say one other thing, yeah. I think I am, I have less pain now and I'm more uh, physically able than I was in my last few, in my last decade as a professor at the university. Why is that? I'm not a slave to the desk. Right. Uh, I, uh, have been able to uh, get a little bit more strategically stronger and strategically mobile. And uh, the pain, I have no pain in my body now, unless I'm really stupid, uh, you know, really pushing things. But I have a funny story to tell you, if, if you're interested. Yeah, I, um, I had my right hip replaced about four years ago, and I've had terrible 
bone pain down my leg ever since. I couldn't walk up two flights of stairs without getting bone pain. So as you know, with total hip replacement, they drive a, a, a titanium stem down your femur, down about the top third of your femur. Right at the end, I had tip stresses that would go all the way down to my knee. Wow. And, uh, you know, I had some people say, well, try vitamin E for the bone because the, the, the root of the cause is the elastic modulus of the bone is not equal to the elastic modulus of the uh, metal. And so you get stresses as one is moving in, in a, with micro movements around the other. Well, uh, I uh, tried a little regimen of that. That didn't do a, a darn thing. And I had people saying, well, do these stretches. And, and then, oh, if you can believe this, one guy even said, oh, you're catastrophizing your pain. It's in, it's in my head. And I thought, oh, you bastard. You never uh, assessed me. You have no idea. And all you can do is default to blaming me for my pain. And I'm the wrong guy to do that to. But anyway... Uh, you know, pain, there's a reason for pain always. And it, it, I get it. It might be emotional, but there's almost always a mechanical trigger. And then it's the trigger that's modulated by uh, uh, emotions and, and whatnot. Can I say something to that really quick? Yes. Is there a separation between the emotional and the mechanics? Because anytime you experience an emotion, your mechanics shift. Thank you. Fabulous. Can we get right back on that as soon as I'm done? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So if I can just finish off this story. So I met a fellow and we get, you know, here at BackFit Pro, I now have the clinic in my home. And uh, the, uh, we get different people coming by saying they offer devices and training machines and all this kind of stuff. Would you like to put this into BackFit Pro? Try it with your patients because they just want that product to have visibility in our clinic when you know people of import come by and <laughs> anyway so this was a pulsed magnetic therapy uh machine now i don't know if you're familiar with how mri works uh, are you somewhat you go into a big magnetic coil and that coil has a current that goes through it that creates a magnetic field and the hydrogen ions in your body like h2o the water orientates its spin axis to the magnet and then when you release the magnet it goes back to its normal spin sequence with but it vibrates and there's a resonance there so it's called magnetic resonance imaging and there are sensors that sense this resonance and they build a 3d picture of it so that that's basically what mr is hmm. well pulsed magnetic therapy is exactly the same thing. You go into this ring and it creates a magnetic field. And it was invented by Nikola Tesla. And, and Tesla obviously is, is a name that's becoming uh, back again. And, and he put himself in a big coil. Um, uh, this, this was over 100 years ago because he said it was very healthy uh, to do, which I, I can't comment on that. But right. nonetheless... This fella brought this unit by, and he said, do you try, do, do, would you like it? And I said, no, I, I, you know, I, I have enough. So he says, well, well just try. He, he said, let me leave it here. And, uh, and I told him, well, uh, I, I do have this, this femur pain. Now, you realize I'm a, science, a scientist and a skeptic and a clinician. Uh, I'm a hard guy to fool. You know, I tried three sessions with it of half an hour my bone pain went. Hmm. I didn't desensitize and go away slowly. 
It's not as though I could walk up four flights of stairs with no pain and then 10 flights of stairs. The pain just went. Wow. So uh, now having said that, I had stem cell therapy on something else uh, at the same time, but it was into a joint on the other side of my body. Is it possible it could have left that joint and migrated over to my bone on the other side? Yes, it's possible. Is it likely? No, it's not likely. So I do have a possibility of an alternate explanation. Well, with that, my wife, who uh, you, you may or may not know was a, a very competitive rower. She rode for Canada in the 80s. And then uh, she got back to uh, master's rowing a few years ago. Anyway, she was supposed to have a knee replacement this past winter. She started on this unit. And uh, I will we'll just get to the point here. She came back from the World Masters Championships in Sarasota, Florida. There were 49 countries. She came home with a gold medal. So this was after <laughs> we were wondering whether, you know, we were discussing, yeah, she really needs a knee replacement. And uh, does it, has it changed the appearance of them on MRI? No, it hasn't. But mm -hmm. the, the, the pain is not there. And she walks without a limp and that kind of thing, which mm -hmm. is normalizing of itself if you can take a limp away. Yeah. But th th there's a, an interesting story. Do you want to talk about the separation of pain and the mechanical triggers and the emotions? I do. I so we do you that was pulsed electromagnetic frequencies like PEMF. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, or different, different than that? Pulsed magnetic therapy. So P, PEMF is something that's becoming quite popular. There's yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's what they call it. Okay. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to look that up. But so PMF, you like lie on a mat usually, or you kind of no, like wrap no, it around no, you. Yeah, no, no. Okay, the mat I'm very skeptical of. This is oh, a, you are. this is a coil that actually goes around you. You put the coil around you, and so it's it not is, contacting you. Oh, it is wherever you're laying in the coil, but it is a true Tesla coil. The mats. The, 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 the coils go around inside the mats. You need the hoop to go around you to have the true Tesla coil effect. Okay, I gotta check yeah. that out. Because I've, I've done a lot of PEMF where they'll like wrap the, the mat thing like around no, your no, leg or your foot or whatever and it kind of like zaps you. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, no. Different no, than that. that. Okay. No, this, this is not to stimulate any muscle or anything like that. If you go to... Oh, okay centurion-systems.com and awesome. then you look under their easy system they, they have those mats for horses and all that kind of stuff for racehorses right. but the uh, easy system is a coil so anyway i've tried that now with some uh, masters rowers on knees and hips and uh, most people are finding relief right now uh, I've also tried it on some back pain patients where we measured the pain was coming from the bone, from the vertebra themselves, and we haven't had any success at all. Okay. So certainly for extremity joint pain, we're having some success, but, but none at all uh, for the spine, at least thus far. Okay. So that's that. But uh, I just did a podcast uh, a few days ago where that's exactly what we were discussing, how they asked me, you know, what about uh, what we've heard about is pain science? You know, the, the, the neuroscientists who are saying, well, the, the, the pain really is a process of the brain interpreting threat and all this sort of stuff. Right. And, uh, but, but 
as a spine person, we almost always measure there's a problem with the spine tissue and the brain has to interpret that pain. And uh, of course, uh, with uh, the emotions of it all, uh, that um, uh, magnifies or, or, or reduces the pain. I get all of that but you still have to have an original back pain trigger in the first place to allow the brain to, to modulate that. But the important thing is how do you treat it? And there are some clinicians who think don't treat the back, don't tell the person how to move around their pain triggers, uh, just give them cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, I've got too many patients coming to me who are really have great cognitive dissonance because someone told them things that they interpret the pain is in their head. And, and that does, uh, it's a dismissal of uh, that back pain the person is feeling. And it's almost a reverse psychology sometimes. But anyway, that that's part of the argument that I presented there was th there, there's this duality or separation between um, personality and psychology and mechanical pain. And I said, I don't think it's either or, and I don't quite see the separation in the evidence no. I brought out was uh, my colleague and, and good friend, Bill Maris, who's a wonderful spine professor at Ohio State uh, University. He did fabulous exercise uh, experiments a few years ago where he would first uh, perform personality assessments on uh, groups of workers. And these were real workers, by the way. And uh, then he would pay graduate students to act as supervisors, and they would come in and berate the workers, really get into them, you know, calling them names and, and stressing them, in other words. Well, it was so interesting, because then he was measuring the musculoskeletal loads after they were mentally stressed. Mm -hmm. The people who had very timid personalities shrunk back, they elevated their shoulders, they crushed their necks and their backs by using their trapezius and their back muscles. In other words, they loaded their bodies. So the emotions were going right into much more joint loads. The more uh, now, there's a name for the personality, and I can't remember, but the more confident personality, the more overt personality, they just said, oh, you know, to hell with you, and they kept yeah. on working, and it didn't go into their body. In other words, their biomechanical load didn't change. So this was all wonderful evidence to, to show that it, it, it's not one or the other. And it depends on some people, it kind of is, but there's other people where it kind of isn't. Yeah. And that stress really does manifest as higher joint loads. And uh, there are also personalities that when they get pain and higher joint loads, you know, they're calling the doctor because, uh, I hate to say this, but they farted when, you know, <laughs> there's something they're off to the doctor. Right. Yeah, you know, this, this hypochondriac type of personality as well. So uh, anyway, well, it's, like it's so interesting. That's like, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, if you can find yourself in really good structural, emotional alignment, the same thing, um, then things roll off of you, you know, and then you can be exposed to any type of athletic event or emotional event, catastrophe, whatever it is. But it's like it moves through you and out of you. As soon as you have collapse or break at any level, then you become sticky. Yes, that's a beautiful uh, way to say that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it's something that I'm really enamored with and we can wrap up, but what's, what, what time do you got to be, be rolling out of the, out of here? We started a little I, bit I, I'm, I'm retired. I don't have to go. All right, good. Okay. Good. Cause I like this conversation. Um, you know, so something that I'm really interested in uh, promoting cheerleading is encouraging people to spend more time on the ground. Um, you know, so I wonder what are your thoughts of like throughout, you said the desk was something that was, that was pretty rough on you. What if you were in, you know, cross-legged position and 990 position and straddle position and then laying on your belly and then getting up and standing, um, you know, sitting back down repeatedly throughout the day. Do you think that that would be a, helpful for desk people? What's the answer? I mean, for me, it's absolutely 2 million percent yes, but I'm asking well, you. <laughs> well, the answer is it depends. Oh, come on. It's yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, when I, 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 oh, I, I agree that it depends actually, but yeah. Go on. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I went to Korea and uh, it's really difficult to go to Korea and find a restaurant with chairs. Right. So you have to sit on the floor. Yeah. I couldn't do it. So it depends on the mechanics of your sitting and you need a lot of support. You need a lot of bolsters, pillows, cushions. Like, it, you, yes, that's, that's the, well, well, I agree well, with that. I, well, I do. The average Korean did not. Right. And uh, in fact, I, I was quite made fun of. So they would bring out a, like a little bucket or a little potty that I would have to sit on. And even then I was screaming in pain because uh, the, the, do you know where the highest rate, let's go through Caucasian Europe and let's yeah. just look at that gene pool. Have you heard me tell this story before? I've read it, heard it. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so the, so the Celtic hip, the gene pool, the Celts, which is Normandy, France, small section of Spain, Scotland, and Ireland, uh, have the highest rate of FAI, femoral acetabular impingement. And the reason for it is they have very deep hip sockets. So when you measure their squat and power production, they don't have much power coming out of the hole, like the depth of the squat. So if, if you have that kind of architecture, it's, it's, people fail pulling the ground, the, the, the load off the ground if they're doing a deadlift. But when the, when, when the uh, load passes the knee, that type of architecture hits second gear and they just fly through the top half and they don't fail. Yeah. through lockout. Um, now, does every Celt have that kind of hip? No. All I'm giving you is an average of that gene pool with a great amount of variability around it. Now, let's take the polar opposite of that, which is a shallow hip socket. Do you know where the highest rate of, uh, let's see, um, hip dysplasia? So there's an orthopedic disease of uh, associated with having a very shallow hip where the ball of the hip falls out of the socket. Well, it happens to be Poland. So Poland has genetically, on average, a very shallow hip socket. But when you measure those kinds of hips in the deep squat, they have tremendous power out of the hole at the bottom, and they tend to fail more at the top. Well, interestingly enough, we just identified where the Olympic lifters come from, or the, or the very deep squatters. And it's the same with the Ukraine and Bulgaria and, and, and places like that, which is anyway. So my, my, my point is the Korean population have a very shallow anterior rim on the uh, uh, acetabulum, as do the Japanese as well. So when you look at the Japanese martial arts, they take full advantage of all of this and the stories I could tell of other 
gene pools adopting some of the uh, Japanese martial art techniques. Uh, I mean, I know some groups of them that are basically Europeans, every single one of them has hip replacement. Hmm. None of the Japanese masters do. So again, it's an architectural or an anatomical predisposition. Um, anyway, uh, so when you say absolutely, and I say, well, hold on, it depends. I mean, I've already had hip replacement and I still can't get down into sitting on the floor, uh, comfortably and, but nor could I ever, uh, in, in my adult life. So I can't live on the floor, but I'm, but I'm saying bolster your stuff up. I'm saying, just give yourself the opportunity to, to get your hips below 90 degrees. So if for you, the best you have is 90 degrees and that's fine. Um, it's just slowly starting to kind of explore your boundaries with, with hip function and ankle mobility. Um, and then, you know, for the least, like stacking your spine. So finding the front edge of the sit bones and being able to actually find alignment continually is what I'm Well, saying. I have no argument against that. Yeah. And then, uh, and, yeah. and then, and then from there, so it's like cultures, for example, that, that, that sleep on the ground, you know, that it forces them to have to go through that full range of motion. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm continually learning to get up and down off of the ground, which means then fall risk becomes that's off the table for elderly, you know, or what do you think? Uh, well, I, I, I agree a hundred percent on that one. When, okay. So when we were talking about how to age optimally, uh, arresting a fall, um, yeah. balance training, uh, ballroom dance, learning to get your foot out in front of you to arrest a stumble. These are all skills that will help you to live longer. They yeah. probably don't matter as much when you're 20. Other things matter more. But when you're older, the biggest risk for them will be uh, falling no, or the inability to arrest a fall. Really. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting is while you have that ability and it's like one of those things where you just don't think about it, like any like, you know, investment, you know, you're investing now, you don't get the reward now, but it's like, I think in 50 years, it's going to be relevant. It's going to be really worth something. I'm saying for people that are 20, 30, 40, whatever, spending more time closer to the earth forces you to go through that full range of motion. And then when you are 80, 90, 100, 110, whatever, it's like you, you've neurologically wired that so deeply that it's, you can't let it go. You know what I'm saying? Not, you can't let it go, but it's not, it doesn't go. Yes. I, I, I know. I, I, I know of some fabulous athletes though, and I'm, I've been around long enough that I've followed them yeah. and, uh, they, uh, I, I don't know if they were able to preserve that sense of balance any better or worse than anyone else. I, I know myself uh, today, I found myself almost falling a couple of times carrying heavy tools and car jacks and, and things like that, getting them downstairs. And so, you know, I, I, I thought to myself today, boy, I better get back on to uh, uh, humble myself back to uh, balance training and whatnot because I know how to fall. You know, I've I've been in combative sports. Uh, I, I, that I do know, and uh, but uh, I, I can see how people who were formerly very adept at it 
uh, lose that ability to arrest falls and, and roll and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's never too learn to late to, to ne never too late to learn that. Um, yeah. what's the transfer of it through the ages? I'm, I don't know about that yet. Yeah, I don't know. There's been like enough proper, other than just seeing cultures that continually do that, and their instances of hip disease or, or you know, falls is like very low. Um, so that's, I mean, that seems like a big deal. But I don't know if there's like a specific study on the effect of that and the correlation throughout old age. But my yeah. sense, my sense is if you're continually practicing getting up and down from the ground, you're wiring that pattern. So every time you do that, it's like a repetition. You know, so every time you get all the way down, all the way up, it's like that distance gets shorter and shorter because you become more comfortable with it. But if you're always balancing standing up, then taking a fall, there's a big distance between you and the ground is what I'm, you know, that's my thought. That's what okay. I'm saying. <laughs> well, that, that makes good logic to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted, I wanted to, to get into, and then we, we can wrap up quite soon, is, is um, the value. People become obsessed with the value of squat. You know, you squat, squat, squat. And then it's like, I think that there's another, and we've already talked about this actually, but huge value to the whole like contralateral movement and walking and lunging. And, you know, cause a squat is kind of like, if you can squat 1100 pounds, like that won't serve you in too many situations, nearly as much as being able to have like full range of motion and walking, running, lunging, like it become, it can be squatting can become like a mutation, I think as well. Well, it makes you very easy to kill. Explain. That's great. I love that. Well, uh, say you're a heavy squatter. Yeah. <laughs> say, you can, say you can squat 800 pounds. Right. Are you going to be very buoyant in the water? Right, exactly. It's like, what are we uh, doing? What? Uh, you're not going to swim very well. Do you think you're going to be able to run? If you can squat a thousand pounds, what do you think your ability is to run away from a wildfire in California? Yeah, that's my curiosity. It, 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 you won't run very fast, and you won't won't run for very long. Right. So no, it, it's it. The, the, if we're talking heavy squats, you're now becoming a specialist, and you become much more easier to kill. Right. But if you get into a car accident, I can also name some terrific strength athletes who just walk away from car wrecks because basically their body has been adapted to iron. Yeah. And uh, people don't realize that strength equals stiffness. And uh, when they activate those muscles, they become so stiff. That's an armor around their body. And it's a tremendous uh, protector against uh, high energy uh, impact. But if you want to get, did you want to talk about walking? Please. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, walking is non-negotiable for our back pain uh, patients. Uh, think, and, and how the heck did squatting become so dominant? It, 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 I think it's the internet more than anything. Right. Uh, and trainers who they have a squat bar and a squat rack and uh, it becomes a tool for them, but they may not be that creative. So they, they, they think squats are the only uh, ways to develop, but uh, walk backwards up a hill and tell me how your quadriceps are burning. You know, uh, it's, it's an, a very humbling to, to experience that. But nonetheless, um, think of every exercise that you do in, in a weight room 
they're almost always done either sitting or standing on uh, two feet. It might be a squat, it might be a deadlift or bench press or uh, some of the bodybuilding exercises. What they're building is sagittal plane strength. Think of what you need to walk. You need frontal plane strength. So as if you plant your right leg, that's your stance leg, and you swing with your left leg, if you don't hold up your pelvis flat with quadratus lumborum and the obliques and latissimus dorsi on the other side, then the pelvis falls and the spine bends and you lose your ability to bear a load. So the only time that you really challenge the frontal plane strength of your body, well, yes, you could do side planks, I suppose. But if you're standing, you have to walk, you have to carry things. So uh, I think in modern gyms, the way they're set up, and people who uh, get in their car, go to work, sit for eight hours, get in their car, go to the gym, go home, most of the time their frontal plane strength and stiffness deficit. So the beginning of those progressions always start uh, with walking. Now, if you don't think walking is a good core activity, uh, I suggest you go work with a child who has a paralyzed quadratus lumborum. So they've got some neurological disorder where they can't activate very well one quadratus lumborum. And then watch them walk. And you'll see, say it's their left QL, if they have left leg stance, they can swing their right. But when they have right leg stance, they can't swing their left because the whole pelvis falls down on that side. Mm. Um, so you've got to have a fit, stiff, appropriately stiffened core to even walk. And as you know, the core is the mother of all proximal stiffness. And because we live in this skeletal linkage, I can't even wiggle my finger if I don't stiffen my wrist. In order to wiggle my wrist, I had to stiffen my elbow. And it all comes back to the core. So I can't sprint, run, lunge, walk, or do anything without that proximal stiffness uh, through the core. So uh, it all begins with uh, walking and then. Uh, loaded walking, which would be with implements like a suitcase, or which is just a dumbbell on one side, or a farmer's walk, or a bottoms-up kettlebell carry, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, you, you won't be much of an athlete without uh, that ability. But it's interesting when you measure some athletes how out of balance their core strength is, and they're usually a frontal plane uh, deficit. Yeah. In, in relation to like core strength and intra-abdominal pressure and, and all these things, you didn't, you didn't say that word, but, but um, I'm curious of incontinence. And, and so the adult diaper industry is, is said to exceed the, the baby diaper industry by like 2000 soon. I think it's like the next couple few years, maybe it's already happened. So people are, are adults are peeing themselves. Um, and so I, I think if we were squatting functionally, we actually, and, and the, the environment that we were adapting to wasn't folding us into this hunched over position all day, I think that we would probably have more support around our pelvic floor muscles. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I am not, I, I really don't have much expertise in the pelvic floor. Right. Um, all I can really comment on is uh, people who I know they'll be critical of some of the things I do and they say, oh, uh, this is going to cause incontinence. And I said, well, I've, I've, I've seen, been seeing patients for 30 years. I can't really recall a patient 
who's prolapsed their rectum or their vagina or their urethra or all of these other things that people are accusing us of, of possibly creating. Which um, part, what, what part would people be accusational about? Well, they might say, oh, you're, you're stiffening the core with those exercises. Aren't the women going to become uh, incontinent? And I said, well, hmm. th- they may. Uh, I, I, I believe it or not, I've never, ever run into that. Now, I have had women as patients, and I will ask them, do you have any incontinence? Or in the assessment interview, they will say, you know, I, I do have issues with incontinence. And we will then uh, work a strategy to deal with that. Um, it's very rare, but uh, I'll say, all right, then we will consciously uh do a pelvic floor, um, uh, I, I don't want to call it an exercise, that's what I'm struggling with right now, but a strategy that might involve the pelvic floor, so a, a kind of a Kegel or something like that. Yeah. But uh, when you measure the great athletes, and then I have these pelvic floor people who, who have told the athlete, oh, drop your pelvic floor when you're running or squatting or something like that, and it is so inhibiting of performance that the performance isn't possible. So, you, you know, there, there's, of course, there's the spectrum that we have to deal with. But uh, I will say I am not the pelvic floor uh, uh, expert. And I don't really run into that issue. Awesome, man. Um, we got we to gotta wrap up. Is there any kind of standout points, takeaway things you'd be good to mention before? closing up. Well, what have you been doing? I'm just looking at that shirt you're wearing and I've never seen you so fit looking. Oh, good. <laughs> I think I'm just always wearing like a sweatshirt when I talk to you. Um, what do I do? So my, my house, so for example, something that I do as far as like fitness related stuff is I, I'm really enamored by um, one, like dance, martial arts, things like that. I do like acrobatic things. I, I do, I pick people up. So I do like acro yoga. You can see on my Instagram, I do a bunch of weird stuff. Um, and then I'm really into temperature regulation as a means of fitness. So more like passive fitness. So I have a freezer sitting here like five feet away from us, um, filled up with water. So I'll go and freeze for five minutes or so. Then I have an infrared sauna right beside that. I'll get it really hot. You go, you know, I do, I do hot yoga regularly. So I, I just like the idea of compounding variables. And then I also spend literally most of my day on the floor. So my whole day looks a lot like yoga is, is, is kind of what my focus is. Wow, you're a monster for punishment. I <laughs> No, it's not punishment. It feels good. No, oh, man, I'd never had so much pain when I was at uh, Mel Sif's uh, training facility, which was based very much on the Russian athletic training uh, programs. And, uh, you know, we swam in ice water, and then we got into very hot, hot contrast baths. Um, but, uh, boy, getting out of that uh, ice water after a swim, uh, it was so, so painful. It becomes, um, it becomes addictive. Um, yeah. Well, here at BackFit Pro, uh, I emulated some of that. We have a, a hot, a very hot sauna yeah. and then ice cold uh, contrast showers. It's the best thing sure. that we can get at least close to that. Yeah. And I'll do maybe two rounds of moderate temperature because I'm a wimp. 
And uh, so I'll, I'll do that fine. It makes the beer taste a bit better at the end. Right. But, uh, you know. <laughs> my, but so my, my big thing, and this is what the whole book is about really, is, is changing. Like you can see behind me, I have like a yoga swing hanging in my living room. I have instruments all over my living room. Um, I have, you know, windows around and painting, which is, you know, there's studies that show that helps um, increase your, your pain or decrease your pain sensitivity, helps people get out of hospital sooner. And it's just like if you can make subtle environmental shifts that are always feeding back into your physiology, then I think that, you know, life just gets a lot easier. So I'm just well, looking at environmental. I, I absolutely agree with all that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, you're, you're, you're looking good. That's the only thing that I can think of that's half interesting. <laughs> yeah, good. Perfect. I appreciate that. That's good. All right. How do people learn more about your stuff? How do, I mean, I like, I've already, I already blow smoke up your butt every time we do this, but you've been like a huge inspiration. Not like you've been a huge inspiration for me. Um, you know, I've read all your books and I've just, you know, I've listened to all your podcasts at this point. I really appreciate you, man. How, how do people learn more about your, your stuff? Well, our website, thanks for that, is BackFit Pro, just like it sounds, BackFitPro.com. And uh, there are my books for the lay public who are unnecessarily and unneedlessly suffering with their back pain. Uh, 95% of people who've been told they need spine surgery after following that book have been able to avoid it. So that statistic, we've done follow-up that I, I can stand by that. And then my uh, other books uh, are for, well, Gift of Injury is for the strength athlete who's recovering from back injury. Ultimate Back Fitness and Performance is more for other athletes to regain their mojo. And then my heavy clinical textbook is for doctors. That's uh, low back disorders, and it's not very much fun to read, but it's a very heavy book that uh, describes the various uh, back pain mechanisms and then what to do to decrease the risk of them occurring and how to treat them if they have occurred. Um, yeah, so that's uh, available uh, there. We've got, got some uh, uh, pneumatic back supports uh, and that kind of thing to take away the, the back pain triggers when you sleep and uh, sit. But uh, other than that, that's, uh, that's about our, the width of our being. Love it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I will, um, in relation to the book stuff, I'm, I'm going to have um, just sections, kind of little sections devoted to each person that I think is radical, being, you, you being one of them, and then they just have like some bullet points of what they refer to. All right. If, if you want me to, uh, uh, in fact, I'd appreciate if you would. I'll send them to you. Uh, yes, yeah, send it to me it. first, yeah. and then yeah, you can for keep, sure. us, keep us both out of jail. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the way. Just to make sure the quotes are reasonably accurate. Right. I, I don't want any Absolutely. editorial control. Absolutely not. But no, just I get it. One word here and there can keep us both out of a lot of hot water. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's super simple. It's, it's, it'd be like, it'll be probably four or five simple bullet points. Just to, I just want to have your voice and Kelly's voice and all the different folks' voice in there. I was just like, this is, you know, it's not just coming out of me and Phil White's brain. This is like, it's more of a tribal type thing. So that's what we should Yeah, do. oh, well, f fabulous. I'm just trying to think of uh, hooks for the book for you. Oh, um, really? Uh, if in, in, you know, let, let's go back to the guy who squats heavy and I said, he'll, he'll be easier to kill. Yeah. Um, the, the key to survival is your ability to adapt. And that's a large part of, uh, 
you know, so maybe the book could be called "Be Be Harder to Kill." Well, the books, the books, all everything's so it's already sold. Like it's I, my my publishers and all that stuff. Like so, the name is is called the Align Method. Um, the subtitle we're still working on it. It's going to be something along the lines of like, it's not going to be five easy steps, but five steps will be involved in it. But it's going to be much more than five steps. Um, and because as you I already know, you you've you went through like the whole the whole like publishing world of how yeah you know, have something that's like tangible, something people will hang on to. So there is a five step thing within the five. I'd be curious your perspective actually. I five things that I think everybody should be doing is spending more time on the floor, uh, walking. Just like, and with walking, it's like choosing to walk or rollerblade or skateboard or something instead of driving your car. All the I get time. it. It's ambulate. Yeah, ambulate exactly. Um, so hang. So get like a pull-up bar, which I have hanging, you know, three feet from my my, you know, this spot here on the doorway. So just spend time hanging each day, um, hinging at your hips. So cultivating a hip hinge. So like spinal neutrality and, and hinging at hips as you're doing like household activities as opposed to always hunching over. I think that might have been all of them. What do you think? Do you hate him? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Um, and then, well, okay. So there's your code and then the jazz on top of that. So if you've got a torn up rotator cuff, you know, do, do partial hangs with TRX. Of course. Oh, of course. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying it. So, so my whole thing is, is first become a diligently aware of where are your boundaries and then respectfully sit right beside them. You know? Right. And, and that's, you know, you don't want to blow out the boundary. And that's what we see in competitive lifting environments like a CrossFit that we kind of like poo-pooed on. I think CrossFit has a lot of value as well. But that's what you'll see rampantly is people blowing through boundaries and everyone rooting them on. You know, and it's like it fulfills certain things. But, you know, biomechanically, it, sometimes it's really disastrous. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways but yeah so that's so so i what are your thoughts spending more time on, on the ground in general so i'd be like maybe sleeping low or like squatting you know just squatting more in general i i recommend people working from the ground if they can using adequate bolsters and cushions and stuff yeah well i again i i uh you know this is the thing we all write our books and then we follow those themes so i'm i'm very happy to be able to uh, help you with yours. I've already done my best effort. Yeah. And my best effort was back mechanics. So I, I put the things in there that I think are important. So you do your thing now. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've already had my swack at it. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Sweet. Okay. Well, Always a pleasure. You. And one of Thank these you. days we'll meet in person. I know, man. I can't wait. Well, well, where are you located? I'm in Santa Monica. I'm right up the street from, from Pavel. You mentioned. He's yeah. On, he's on okay. Nelson, Nelson Fabulous. Road. Yeah. Yeah. So next time, do you have any plans of coming out here? Um, I'm in Seattle in uh, February and then I've got to go down and do a little gig in Vegas. And I was thinking of coming through California. Yeah. If you do, Uh, man, I'd be happy to, I don't know. Do you know Pavel? Uh, from seeing him, we like, I've, we train beside each other. We don't like, we're we're in the same spot a lot. You, you don't go and drink pickle juice together or anything. We don't drink pickle juice. Yeah, no, I haven't. I, I, we've we've talked several times, uh, but yeah, we don't we don't drink pickle juice together. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, no, I, I as you know, he and I are good mates. He's a yeah, that's good. lovely fellow. Yeah, yeah. My experience with him has been only positive. Right. Okay. Good luck with all this. Thank I'll you, hear sir. From you when I see the manuscript. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, brother. All right. Have a beautiful Take day. Take care now.
Thank you all so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am super excited to present to you guys the Align Method online program, which focuses on unwinding some of the deleterious effects of essentially staring into technology. So forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, and just general collapsey postural patterns. And also gets into a movement guide and how to integrate better movement into your life. Uh, so you can check that out at alignpodcast.com slash align method, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com slash align method, or you can find it at the Instagram page, align podcast in the bio. Thank you to the folks that have grabbed the align band, heavy duty resistance band with a door anchor and a free video guide that goes with it. So you can actually just access the free video guide if you want, uh, just to get resistance band exercise in general. It's at alignband.com, A-L-I-G-N band.com. All right. Thanks guys so much for tuning in. Appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Pow.